Almost a month ago, Donald Trump was inaugurated as the 45th president of the United States. His inauguration was followed by women's protests across the nation and the world. Subtly and not so subtly, religion played a part in each of these events, from the traditional inaugural prayers to religious groups marching in the protests. Originally, this episode was supposed to be a compilation of my live reactions to religion during the inauguration and reflections from the Women's March. Unfortunately, life got in the way and the episode was not able to come out in January. So what follows is a different sort of compilation of these two events. Rather than being an unedited response to the January inauguration, this episode focuses more on analysis. Actually, in fact, it may be the most academic episode yet. But that shouldn't scare off anybody. I've done my best to make the content non-jargony. The first half of this episode reflects on the religious language of Trump's inaugural speech and the clergy who offered prayers. And this includes actually excerpts from the live recording I did. The second half uh, is the religion nerd moment, which is the Women's March in Denver, Colorado on January 21st. This section will include observations about the religious groups I saw there and clips from the march that highlight the idea of a patriotism of dissent. So now, let's return back to that rainy day in Washington, D.C. on January 20th, 2017. Donald Trump's inauguration included a few firsts for religion, with six members of clergy offering prayers, more than any past inauguration in recent history. This inauguration also included the first clergywomen, the first prosperity gospel preachers, and the first Latino evangelical Christian. But first came Cardinal Dolan. The prayer of King Solomon from the Book of Wisdom. Let us pray. God of our ancestors and Lord of mercy, you have made all things, and in your providence have charged us to rule the creatures produced by you, to govern the world in holiness and righteousness, and to render judgment with integrity of heart. Give us wisdom, for we are your servants, weak and short-lived lacking in comprehension of judgment and of laws. Indeed, though one might be perfect among mortals, if wisdom which comes from you be lacking, we count for nothing. Now with you is wisdom, who knows your will and was there when you made the world, who understands what is pleasing in your eyes what is conformable with your commands, send her forth from your holy heavens, from your glorious throne dispatch her, that she may be with us and work with us, that we may grasp what is pleasing to you. For she knows and understands all things and will guide us prudently in our affairs 
and safeguard us by her glory. Amen. He'd been a critic of Trump's, citing Trump's rhetoric as demonstrating that nativism is alive and well in the United States. If you don't know what nativism is, it will actually be discussed in an episode later this month. But for this episode's purposes, I want to quote an article from Religion and Politics written by Robin Dale Jacobson. She wrote, quote, The United States has a long nativist tradition, which is now focused on Muslim communities. John Higgum, in the canonical book Strangers in the Land, wrote that nativism is an intense opposition to an internal minority on the ground of its foreign, i.e. un-American, connections, end quote. So, in one sense, Cardinal Dolan's presence at the inauguration can be seen as historically significant because he was the first Roman Catholic bishop to partake in an inauguration since 1977. And, as a critic of Trump's nativist language, it's important to recall the relationship between Catholics and American nativism. Here's what I said during the live viewing. So, I think it's really interesting, historically, that, you know, Trump has been, Trump is characterized as this very divisive figure. And in, and he, he is, in certain respects. Um, there's, there's no sidestepping that some of his rhetoric has been extremely, extremely dis- divisive. Um, but if we think about the place of religion in this country and the the rhetoric the anti-immigrant rhetoric around the campaign and the some of the earlier uses of the term nativism that used to always be aimed at Catholics in this country uh, we used to have a very nativist stance counter Catholicism in the United States. After Cardinal Dolan came the Reverend Samuel Rodriguez. He also was critical of some of Trump's campaign rhetoric. More notably, however, Reverend Rodriguez read from the Gospel of Matthew, which includes a passage that is the biblical origin of a phrase which is commonplace in American rhetoric. The idea of a city on a hill. For you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Oh, man. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on its stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. And everyone will praise your Heavenly Father respectfully in Jesus' name. To explain the significance of this passage and imagery, we turn again to my initial reactions from January 20th. Earlier you heard me say that, I said oh my, but that was because of the reference to a city on a hill. Um, And for those who are not super familiar, that's actually, um, in that passage, a a reference um, from the Bible that was in some ways secularized, in other ways not, um, in political language, in political rhetoric. I mean, Ronald Reagan was most famous for using City on the Hill language on a regular basis, but uh, JFK also used it. Um, It was also originally 
used too in a letter attributed to Reverend John Winthrop, um, who was part of the Boston, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, now known as Boston. Uh, and it and that's a city on a hill imagery and language is very very much rooted in the the rhetoric I would say of civil religion. Um, considering the United States as a city upon a hill that is a beacon of light, you can tie that into the torch of enlightenment with the Statue of Liberty. Um, there's there's a plethora of references and a myriad of different ways that we can take the the ways in which the city on a hill imagery is used in political language um, and tie it into the notion of America as a chosen nation, uh, which in the, in the exact words that I just said has religious implications. Um, if we think of the, the biblical uses of the words chosen nation. The last person to offer an invocation was Pastor Paula White, a prosperity gospel preacher who it was later learned had actually been a spiritual advisor to the Presbyterian Trump for many years. We come to you, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, with grateful hearts, thanking you for this great country that you have decreed to your people. We acknowledge we are a blessed nation with a rich history of faith and fortitude, with a future that is filled with promise and purpose. We recognize that every good and every perfect gift comes from you, and the United States of America is your gift, for which we proclaim our gratitude. That brief clip illuminates my initial reactions to Pastor White. Her prayer extended this idea of a city on a hill. And she takes the subtle civil religion that Reverend Rodriguez introduced into the inauguration through prayer and amplifies it. Or, as I stated in my live recording, that entire prayer was very, very much um, city on a hill. That, that was chosen nation written all over. Uh, the, I, I'm just a little speechless right now. I'm, I'm scholastically excited because I now am starting to understand uh, the text I received from my mother earlier today, um, which mentioned that I, I have lots of patriotism papers to write in the coming years, it seems, which is true. Um, I could write a whole entire paper just on that prayer. The benedictions, or closing prayers of the inauguration, really echoed the invocation. The start of the benediction was led by Rabbi Marvin Heer, the first rabbi to participate in an inauguration since 1985. Eternal God, bless President Donald J. Trump and America, our great nation. Guide us to remember the words of the psalmist who may dwell on your holy mountain, one who does what is right and speaks the truth, who knows that when you eat the labor of your hands, you are praiseworthy, that he who sows in tears shall reap in joy, because the freedoms we enjoy are not granted in perpetuity, 
but must be reclaimed by each generation. As our ancestors have planted for us, so we must plant for others. Rabbi Heer was followed by Franklin Graham, son of Billy Graham, who began his prayer with an impromptu remark about rain. Mr. President, in the Bible, rain is a sign of God's blessing. And it started to rain, Mr. President, when you came to the platform. What wasn't mentioned by Franklin Graham, however, was that rain is also a sign of disfavor in the Bible. Think flood. The last prayer of the inauguration was offered by Bishop Wayne Jackson, another prosperity gospel preacher. Jackson, Graham, White, and Rodriguez all offered their prayers in the name of Jesus, an occurrence that's more common in this inauguration than in recent history. The presence of Jesus even caused controversy during Obama's 2009 inauguration. Overall, the six clergy that prayed at the 2017 inauguration highlighted various trends, historical and contemporary, in the understanding of the U.S.'s relationship with religion. Cardinal Dolan's presence recalls anti-Catholic nativism, but the majority of the prayers actually directed us to civil religious notions of America as a chosen nation and a city on a hill. From these prayers, the stage was set for Trump's line about America first in his inaugural speech. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. But that line wasn't the only portion of his speech to emphasize a religious aura around the U.S. or to stress a particular conception of patriotism. We also hear echoes of a city on a hill. We do not seek to impose our way of life on anyone, but rather to let it shine as an example. We will shine for everyone to follow. But let us actually look at other sections from his speech thematically. We are one nation, and their pain is our pain. Their dreams are our dreams, and their success will be our success. We share one heart, one home, and one glorious destiny. Here, Trump recalls the idea about the United States' role in the world and its destiny as a beacon of light for democracy. Remember that city on a hill imagery and being a chosen nation? This all ties back into the idea of an ordained destiny. This idea is also expanded upon at the end of Trump's speech. We stand at the birth of a new millennium, ready to unlock the mysteries of space, to free the earth from the miseries of disease, and to harness the energies, industries, and technologies of tomorrow. Here, Trump lists the accomplishments of an American destiny. I actually found it particularly interesting at this point, given the support he's received from evangelicals, well, from some evangelicals and prosperity gospel preachers. I found it interesting that he used the word millennium. And here we're going to get into some academic talk. Biblically, the millennium refers to a Christian golden age during which the teachings of the church prevail. There are different schools of thought, mainly postmillennialism and premillennialism. 
Postmillennialists believe this golden age will precede the second coming of Christ and the restoration of the kingdom of God on earth. So, to put it really simply, everything is going to be beautiful and wonderful and peaceful and harmonious and great, and then Christ will come. That's postmillennialism. Premillennialists, on the other hand, believe that Christ will return to earth before the golden age of the millennium begins. So, in simple terms, premillennialism is Christ comes, Christ judges, golden age starts, peace, harmony, unity, church values. So, why all of this jargon when I actually promised a jargonless episode? <laughs> because typically in the United States, premillennialists can be found among evangelicals and Pentecostals. But Trump's reference to a millennium followed by a list of triumphs seems more of a post-millennial view to me. And yes, perhaps that's a stretch. All of this is just initial brainstorming on my end. So if you disagree, let me know. But Trump also made some explicit religious references. According to a Google News Lab tool, inauguratespeeches.com, Trump mentioned God three times in his speech. And most importantly, we will be protected by God. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. Many commenters have also stated that the one phrase about patriotism that Trump made actually echoes the Christian saying of, open your heart to Jesus. At the bedrock of our politics will be a total allegiance to the United States of America. And through our loyalty to our country, we will rediscover our loyalty to each other. When you open your heart to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice. But in my opinion, this section of Trump's speech actually reasserts a specific conception of patriotism. Quote, total allegiance and, quote, loyalty to country. As someone who studies patriotism, I can tell you, Trump is rhetorically recalling understandings of loyalty from the world wars, when to be a patriot meant unquestioning loyalty to the government. Recently, as I'll mention in the religion nerd moment, a patriotism of dissent has reasserted itself. This understanding of patriotism highlights a love of country and national ideals. It's a patriotism that seeks to hold the government responsible to aspire to embody the country's principles. Though everyone does tend to define those principles differently. We've seen this patriotism in Kaepernick's protest. We've seen it in the anti-war movement in Vietnam. And we've seen it in the civil rights movement. This version of patriotism challenges the patriotism of McCarthyism and the COINTELPRO and the Office of War Information from World War II. But this idea of patriotism and the references to God and city on a hill and America's destiny, all of these inaugural themes actually lead back to the motto of the Trump campaign. Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, Together, we will make America great again. 
Thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. But it still leaves some of us asking, who's America? God bless America. You're a nerd. A nerd. You're a nerd. On January 21st, 2017, following the inauguration of Donald Trump as the 45th president, hundreds of thousands of people marched in the national and international movement of the Women's March. Religiously, controversy actually began before the marches even occurred, as pro-choice and pro-life factions of the abortion debate disputed the message and platform of the protests. I've included a few links to articles that discuss this debate from both perspectives. But I actually just want to highlight the three religious groups I saw at the protests in Denver for this religious nerd moment. I saw the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, the Boulders Jewish Community, and the Episcopal Branch of the Jesus Movement, which is a saying that actually comes from a video released by the Episcopal Church in which the presiding bishop, Michael Curry, states, this is the Jesus movement and we are the Episcopal Church, the Episcopal branch of Jesus's movement in this world. I've actually provided a link to that message um, in the show notes. So although those were only the three religious groups that I saw at the Women's March in Denver, I'm sure there were many other religious groups and actually numerous religious believers at the march. These were just the few that I saw. And I would actually point out that a great deal of the chants at the Women's March in Denver expressed the idea of dissent as patriotic. This is what democracy looks like. Show me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. <laughs> Other chants even echoed unity, which Trump stated in his inaugural speech. Though one could argue it's a different message of unity. If you want to read more about the religious aspects of the National Women's March, uh, you can check out the show notes at holymedia.com. I've also created a very brief slideshow of some of the photos I captured from the Denver Women's March. And with that, that ends the inaugural episode of the second season of Holy Media. Yes, that was pun intended. So thanks for listening to this episode, and I hope you join me again later this month for the official February episode on the relationship between religion and white nationalism. And there's going to be a special mini episode on religion and the Oscars. This land is your land, and this land is my land. From California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest, Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Holy Media. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at holymedia.com. That's W-H-O-L-Y media.com. And please feel free to leave a comment. You can also start a conversation about this episode's topic on Twitter. The show's Twitter handle is at holymedia. 
As always, you can find the show on SoundCloud, the iTunes podcast app, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoy Holy Media, I ask that you rate and comment the show because these ratings actually do help the show gain an audience and provide me with feedback about what I'm doing well and what I could improve on. If you leave a comment, I'll make sure to thank you on the next show. And lastly, if you have suggestions for future episodes, please contact me. You can send your suggestions and questions to holymedia at gmail.com or use the contact form at holymedia.com. There was a big high wall there that tried to stop me. The sign was painted, said private property. But on the back side, it didn't say nothing. This land was made for you and me. When the sun comes shining, then I was strolling, and the wheat fields waving, and my dust cloud rolling. A voice was chanting as the fog was lifting. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land, and this land is my land. From California to the New York Island. Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. And this is Holy Media.